I'm so glad he's here today. That's the main thing. I hope that if you can, I hope you'll be back tonight. Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching tonight or maybe teaching. I guess that'd be a better description. I'm going to be teaching tonight on the subject, is biblical prophecy being fulfilled in 2022? Uh, Most of you by now have seen what's happening on the news, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And, uh, and so we're going to talk to you about that from the Bible tonight. And I think, I think if nothing else, I think what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be incredibly interesting. And I think you're going to be better. I, I think, and I think you need to hear it. I think that we need to know what's going on. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that you and I are children of light. And that all these things that are happening should not take us by surprise. So when we, th- we see all these things unfolding, we, we shouldn't say, Wow. I can't believe that's happening. Well, God told us these things were going to happen. And so, once again, we're reminded of his, uh, of his sovereignty today. And so, Lord willing, we're going to teach a little bit on that tonight. And so I hope that you will, <clears throat> I hope you'll be here with us uh, this evening at 6 o'clock. Our service will start at 6 o'clock. And then I can say this. We've, we've been here now. My wife and I have been here over 30 years at Calvary Baptist Church Uh I try, to, I try to give you something fresh. If I can, I try to give you something fresh every service. I can honestly say that what I'm preaching on today, I have never preached on in 30 years. 30 years. I've never preached on this one time. And, uh, and the reason is because how many know this, that we're ever learning? And, uh, you, you know, you never come to that point where you've learned everything there is to know. And the more you study the Word of God, the more God enlightens you, and He He uh, teaches you things. And I'm going to give you something uh, that I believe, man. I'm going to give you something God showed me the other day. I'm going to be honest. I felt so strongly about this message. I started to preach it yesterday to the to the men, uh, to all those men and the pastors that were there. But uh, but God has saved it for the, for the Calvary Baptist Church. And so I want to talk to you about Christ on display. Rome, uh, Revelation. Revelation 4 in your Bibles, when you find your places, if you're able to stand, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Revelation uh, chapter number 4, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says after this, John, here's John the Revelator. God has given him, a, uh, <clears throat> God's given him the uh, revelation to see into heaven And in Revelation 4, verse 1, John says, After this I looked, and he says, Behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, we believe that that is speaking of the rapture of the church, that... uh, that that's what John is talking about when he talks about the rapture and he talks about that door being opened in heaven. And we believe that the Lord, sure enough, the Lord is going to come and he's going to say, come up hither and he's going to receive his church out of this earth. He's going to catch us away. And by the way, that catching away could take place today. It may happen before this service is done. The inv- we, we normally give an invitation at the close of the service. We may not make it to the invitation. That's why we tell people that if you have a decision that you need to make, you don't have to wait for the invitation. <clears throat> invitation, uh, invitation begins when you pull on the parking lot and maybe even before that, to be quite honest with you. 
And so if there's a decision you need to make, man, you make it. And make it when you need to make it. <laughs> Look at verse 2. The Bible says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now notice verse number four. That's our text verse. The Bible says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And you may be seated this morning. And I want to talk to you about <clears throat> this subject, Christ on display. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to help us today. And we'll jump right into this Bible study, <clears throat> which is what this is. <clears throat> I apologize for my hacking and going on. It's just one of those things. You just pray with me. I'm not sick, by the way. And uh, I don't even think it's allergies. I think it's just some kind of a condition that, uh, that I've developed over the years. And so anyway, you just pray with us about that and we'll get through it. All right, you pay attention to the word, not to the hacking and the coughing this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the opportunity to be back at Calvary this morning. And we sure love this family. And Lord, they sure are a blessing to us. And Heavenly Father, I pray that in spite of me and I pray that in spite of us, that you would accomplish your will today. Father, teach us a lesson. I believe, you're, I believe you're about to do that. Teach us a lesson. And Lord, the lesson that we're gonna learn this morning is that we are not great, but you are great. And so Father, uh, help the word of God to make sense, help it to come alive. We're gonna need the spirit of God for that. And, I, and so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would come alongside of us today. You're that that paracletos, and I pray that you'd come alongside of us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you would teach us. We know the natural man receiveth not the things that be of God. We know that they're spiritually discerned. And so, Holy Spirit, would you spiritually teach us now from your word? I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you give our people power. I know a lot of our folk right now are tired and Father, give them supernatural energy to, to stay awake and to listen. And we just pray that Christ will receive glory and praise and honor from it all. We love you and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Look at verse 4 again. I'll preach this quickly, I think. And so you don't have to worry about us being here very much longer. But you hang on tight with me this morning. And we're going to use a lot of scriptures. We're going to use way too many scriptures for you to turn to all of them, Okay. But Revelation chapter 4, look at verse number 4 again. The Bible says, and round about the throne, notice this, were four and twenty seats. And upon those seats, I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Now, someone says, Brother Steve, who, who are those four and twenty elders? Those people that are seated on those four and 20 seats in heaven. That's where this is taking place. This group that we're reading about is in heaven. John sees this group in heaven. And so who is the 24 elders that Revelation is talking about? Well, I believe that those 24 elders are a picture of the church. And I, I, I come today not on my own account, but just really trying to study this out for you let me give you a little 
a, a little future help here. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and I love Dr. McGee, and uh, a lot of you come to me and you'll say, Preacher, is there any good commentaries that you can suggest? And I normally suggest Dr. McGee's commentaries. And one of the reasons we love Dr. McGee is because Dr. McGee is just simple and down to earth and he's easy to understand. And uh, I grew up listening to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Mom and dad were always listening to Dr. McGee. And Dr. McGee said this, elders were representatives. We know that Israel had elders and that elders were appointed in the early churches to rule and to represent the entire church. Titus 1 verse 5, their role was clearly understood by the people in John's day. These 24 elders stand for the total church from Pentecost to the rapture. Therefore, I can say, this is him, I'm quoting him. Therefore, I can say categorically and dogmatically that here is the church in heaven. The Holman Study Bible says this, the 24 elders could could refer to angels. But since there were elders as leaders both in Israel and the church, It's more likely that the 12 of the 24 represent the tribes of Israel and the other 12, the apostles of Christ, previewing the reference to the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles in the New Jerusalem. Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary said they represent the heads of the Old and New Testament churches respectively. Date Study Bible said they have crowns, these 24 elders, they have crowns and sit on thrones which are promised to redeemed people. Angels are never seen in Revelation on thrones or wearing crowns. Thomas Nelson's study Bible said the 24 elders probably represent the raptured church in heaven. Their seats or thrones show a reward or a reward of authority in the millennial kingdom. And their crowns are crowns of reward from the judgment seat of Christ. And so we believe, now stay with me. You say, Brother Pope, you've already lost me. Oh, man. Listen, slap yourself, chew some gum, pop a tic-tac, do something, but don't lose me now because if you lose me, you're going to miss a blessing today. So we believe this. We believe that, that those 24 elders that the book of Revelation is talking about and that John the Revelator saw in heaven are a type or a, uh, or a picture of you. They're a picture of the church. When I say picture of the church, a church, a picture of you. When you're in heaven one day and when I'm in heaven one day now, this is the question that has often, often bewildered me through the years. Here it is. Why would the church be offered such a place of blessing and reward in heaven? Now, we're going to really unpack this for you today if I could, but notice again, Revelation 4 verse 4. The Bible says, and around about the throne were four and 20 seats, so we believe that's talking about the church, that's talking about you, he's talking about me. Uh, And so, uh, and upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now I want you to notice several things uh, just to help you understand what we're talking about today. First of all, we see the church is mentioned as being on four and 20 seats. Now you say, pastor, significant, very significant. You see, uh, those seats speak of some type of authority. That's what, when the Bible mentions seat, it mentioned, it's the idea of authority. In fact, the word seats there in Revelation chapter four and verse number four is the Greek word thronos. And it means this, like a throne. And it means a stately seat, 
a stately seat. Now, what do you, what do you mean, Pastor? A stately seat. A uh, 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 we, we've heard of statesmen and uh, and heads of state. Uh, uh, that means they're important people, and that's what it's saying here. That we're going to be seated in heaven. The church is going to be seated uh, in a stately seat. We're going to be seated, if you will. We're going to be seated on a throne, or we're going to have uh, some type of power. The church will be presented with a stately seat in heaven. Now, we do know this. We know that the church is going to rule and reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom on the earth. And so after the tribulation takes, takes place, the rapture of the church will be the first event on God's prophetic calendar and then the tribulation period, which will last for seven years. And then after the tribulation period, there will be 1,000 years when Christ will come and he will rule and reign. He will set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign with a rod of iron. And the Bible says, although we don't understand all of it, the Bible says that you, the church, we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Amen. So we know that. And so the Bible says here that uh, uh, the Bible mentions that they are on seats. How about this? Number next is this. We notice that the church is mentioned as sitting. Now, again, you say, Pastor, is that important? It's very important. When we read about the church, the 24 elders sitting, it speaks of having security. Listen, let me, let me, let me uh, use this analogy Folks in Ukraine are not sitting. They're fleeing. They're pacing. They're fighting. They're dying. But they're not sitting. You know why? They're not at peace. And the Bible says about the church, one of these days when we get into heaven, the Bible says we're going to be sitting. It speaks of safety. It speaks of peace. It speaks of a state of restfulness. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that peace, that peace that the Bible talks about will literally saturate heaven. And so the church is mentioned as being seated. The church is mentioned as sitting. How about this? Well, this is a good one. The church is mentioned as being clothed in white raiment. Now, again, understand that we have a perfect Bible. There's nothing in there by accident. And so the Bible says that you and I, the church, we're the 24 elders. The Bible says that we're going to be clothed in white raiment. Now, what does that mean, preacher? It speaks of provision and protection. In other words, God is going to provide for us. God is going to take care of us. One of these days when we're in heaven with him, God is going to meet every single need that we have. How many remember the story back in the book of Genesis when, uh, when uh, uh, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit? The Bible says they fell and they understood they were naked and they did their best to try to sew these little fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were exposed. And the Bible says that God came and made them skins for covering. Same idea. The Bible tells us that one of these days when we get in heaven, that God is going to clothe us. That means that God is going to provide. God is going to take care of us. God is going to provide for us. God is going to protect us. And then we notice this. We notice we're not only going to be clothed, but we're going to be clothed, the Bible says, in white raiment. Important, very important. 
That word, that, that, that idea of white, it speaks of righteousness. Oh, come on, folks, now. You know what that tells us? The stain of sin is gone. It speaks of purity. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18, Isaiah the prophet said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I'm telling you, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what skeletons you have in the closet. I don't know what guilt trip that you're dealing with today. But I got some good news. If you give your heart and your your, your life to Christ, he is able to make you clean. He is able to make you pure as the driven snow. And one of these days when you get, yeah, you know what? I might just shout myself down today. Amen. And one of these days when you get in heaven, you'll be clothed. You'll be in the protection and the provision of God, but not just clothed, but you'll be clothed in white raiment. The stain of sin is gone. Oh man. Are we having a good time in God's house today? But then there's something else. The church is mentioned as wearing crowns of gold. It's the idea of being greatly rewarded. Greatly rewarded. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8 says it like this. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Uh, Can I just insert this real quick? Don't expect to hear well done if you haven't done well. Well, I'm just going to my reward and I'm I'm looking forward to him saying, well done. Don't expect to hear well done if you haven't done well. You won't live for the devil all of your life and then go to heaven and God's going to say, welcome home, child, well done. But the Bible mentions we're going to wear crowns of gold. Matthew 25, 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so, again, understand understand what the Lord is saying about his church here. But there's something else, and I think this is probably the most significant thing that I want to show you this morning. We notice here the church is mentioned as the bride of Christ. Now, I'm trying to figure out where to have you turn because i got so many places to go this morning. But, but turn over to the book of Ephesians this morning, if you will. Uh, Ephesians, and let's just organize into a Bible study just for a moment this morning. The book of Ephesians, and look at chapter number 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and look, if you will, at verse number 25. The, the, and so, again, follow this now. The church is mentioned as uh, being on four and 20 seats. The church is mentioned as sitting. The church is mentioned as being clothed in white raiment. The church is mentioned as wearing crowns of gold. But the church is mentioned as being the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse number 25. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, here it is, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, we use that scripture for marriage, and we should, and we can, and we use it often to, to, to challenge married couples. 
Bibles and to challenge the home, and we should, uh, and, and, and that's, that's fine to do that. But did you know that actually in this passage we just read that God is really talking about his relationship with the church? In fact, look at verse number 32, same chapter, verse 32. Uh, Paul says, this is a great mystery. He said, I don't understand all of this. This is a great mystery. He said, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, pastor, what's your point? My point is this, that according to scripture, the Bible says that we, you and I, as the church, we are going to be the, the bride of Jesus Christ. Let me show you at least another verse. Turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in your Bibles and look at verse number two. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number two. Now don't forget what Ephesians 5, 27 just said, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Brother Looney was teaching on this the other day and he mentioned that word present. And I was sitting right back there on that back row. Man, it was like the Holy Ghost it was like the light bulb came on and God began to give me something here. Don't forget what he said, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number two. The Bible says, uh, for I am jealous over you, talking about the church, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Interesting terminology there. You don't have to turn there. Can I just read it for you? Revelation 21, verse number nine, the Bible says, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And so uh, if we're reading this scripture right now, I believe we are, evidently, evidently God uh, or Jesus, maybe I should say it like that, Jesus is going to display his church or present his church in heaven. It's mentioned several times. I looked up that word present, and it is the Greek word peristema, and it means to exhibit or to show. And so, get the picture. Understand, this is not something that's missing you. I'm talking to you. You're the church. And the Bible says that one of these days in heaven, God is going to display, God is going to present his church. We're going to be, we're going to be on stately seats. We're going to be sitting in the provision and protection of God. We're going to have white raiment. We're going to, the saint of sin is going to be gone. We're going to have crowns of gold, speaks of rewards. We're going to be, we're going to have, we're going to be the bride of Christ. Here's my question. Why? would the church be presented as the bride of Christ? Why would the church be so rewarded in heaven? Why would we, can I put it like that? Why would we be so rewarded in heaven? Why would God, why would Jesus Christ display us in heaven? I'm gonna be honest with you. I was thinking about this. I could sort of understand that if it was speaking only of the early church. The early church was full of the blood of martyrs. That early church had conviction, courage. I thought about men like Polycarp, one of, the, one of our, our forefathers of the faith. Uh, Polycarp, how did things, uh, they believed that Polycarp studied, I believe it was under the apostle John and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and an important father in the church. Uh, Polycarp burned at the stake. And when they, put, when, when they put him against the stake and 
tied him up and brought the kindling in and they got ready to start the fire. They said, will you recant? Will you deny the Lord? Will you deny the Lord? By the way, I wonder if somebody tied you to a stake and brought in the kindling and brought in the fire, would we deny the Lord? And as they brought the fire to the kindling, Polycarp said this, four score and six years have I served him and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and savior? And they burned him to death. You know, if it was men like Latterman Ridley, I think I could understand it a little. Also burned at the stake. And before losing their life, uh, this was said. Latimer said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. I thought about men like the Apostle Paul. Where Paul said, I've, I've fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. A little bit later, they came in and got Paul and they cut off his head. I thought about men like the apostle Peter, who when they came and, and took Peter and said, we're going to crucify you. Peter said, don't crucify me like my savior because I'm not worthy to die like him. Turn me upside down. And historians tell us that when Peter was crucified, they turned him upside down on the cross when they nailed him to that cross. I, I, I can almost understand this if it was the early church being honored. I, I could uh, sort of understand it if it was the international church being honored. What, what, what do you mean, pastor? Oh, listen, folks, not everywhere's like America. People say, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we're not living in the dark ages where Christian, Christians lost their lives. Let me tell you something, folks. More Christians have lost their lives in the 20th century than any other time in history. Did you know that right now in the country of Sudan, if you're a Christian, they will crucify you on a cross? Did you know right now in different parts of the world, if you claim to be a Christian, they will martyr you, martyr your family. And by the way, I'm talking about, I'm talking about places you wouldn't. I, I, was talking to a, I was talking to a missionary this week in Israel, and he said, Brother Pope, he said, you do know, don't you? He said, you do know that if you proselytize a, any, any young person under 18 years of old, you will spend two years in prison in Israel. That's Israel. If you win somebody, try to win somebody to the Lord, that's what he's talking about. I, I, could under, I could almost understand this. If it was talking about those Christians in North Korea, those Christians in Saudi Arabia, those Christians in Afghanistan or Iraq. But how could the modern day church be so blessed of the Lord and, and, and be displayed in heaven, be presented in heaven. And then as Brother Looney was teaching and I was sitting back here and, uh, and he wasn't necessarily even teaching on this, but the Spirit of God just cut on the light and the Holy Spirit revealed, it, uh, revealed the answer to this perplexing question. You see, the church is not displayed in heaven because the church is deserving. 
The church is not rewarded in heaven because we are worthy of a reward or worthy of a blessing. The church will be displayed in heaven to show that Christ is deserving of the glory. <laughs> so when somebody says, wow, that's neat, preacher. I mean, God's gonna put us on stately seats. He's gonna take care of us. He's gonna clothe us. He's gonna give us crowns of gold. We're the bride of Christ. I mean, wow, wow, man. I mean, we really must be something else. I mean, we really must have done something good. No, he done something good. And one of these days in heaven, the church will be displayed as a way of showing that it is not the church that receives glory, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ that's deserving of glory. Listen to this. Hey, he deserves glory because he saved something so unworthy. He deserves praise because he took something so dirty and made it clean. You say, preacher, I'm not dirty. Okay, then excuse the rest of us. You say, pastor, I'm not a sinner. Well, you are a sinner. And maybe you're not as bad as some or maybe you're not as good as some, but I'm just telling you, brother, one of these days when God parades us in heaven and displays his church in heaven, it won't be so people will look at the church and say, wow, wow, what a church. No, no, no. It'll be as, as Jesus displays his church in heaven, displays you and displays me. It'll be so all of eternity can look on and say, man, not what a church, but man, what a savior, what a savior that can take something so unworthy and so dirty and so putrid and clean it up and make it holy and make it righteous and make it clean. You say, preach, you need to calm down. No, you need to get fired up. That's what you need to do. You say, pastor, any advice? Yeah, I got some good advice. Go read the book of Hosea. It's one of those minor, we call it a minor prophet book. Not because it's less important, it's just smaller. Go read the book of Hosea. Where God came to his prophet and said, Prophet, I want you to go take a wife. And she's a prostitute. Unclean. She's been with other men. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, I'm about to... I'm about to take a running spell right now. I want you to go take this lady that's laying with other men and, and took money to, to have sex with them. And I want you to go take this lady as your wife. And I want you to bring her into your home. And I want you to cherish her. And I want you to nourish her. And so Hosea goes out and sure enough, he finds this prostitute. Her name was Gomer. And he brings Gomer into his home and he cherishes her and he feeds her and he clothes her. And he takes care of her and he loves her and he's faithful to her. But she's not faithful to him. And although he's clothed her and although he's fed her and although he's protected her and although he's provided for, she goes out and she's unfaithful. And again, she lays with other men. And she has illegitimate children. And the Bible says that Hosea goes out and he takes her back. And he brings her back and he forgives her. Boy, I think you know what that picture is, don't you? You say, church, what are you saying? I'm saying, church, we never read that story. We never read that story and say, wow, 
What a great woman Gomer was. No, she wasn't great. She was a lady of the night. She was a prostitute. She was deceitful and unclean and she didn't deserve anything. You know what? We read that story and this is what we say. Wow, what a husband that would take somebody like that and give her a second chance and forgive her and clothe her and take care of her. Oh, Calvary, I want to tell you something one of these days when we get in heaven, we won't look around and say, boy, I'm glad I did this to get there and I'm glad I did that to get there and boy, you must be something and you must be oh, no, 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 no. When God parades his church through heaven, It'll be so we can say, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior that would come and die for me and shed his blood for me and make me clean and holy and pure and right. Hey, what a God we serve this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, if nobody else is having a good time, I'm having the time of my life this morning. Man, you've heard this little story. His name was Mitsuo Fujita. He was a Japanese, uh, a Japanese fighter pilot. And he's significant because he led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mitsuo, Mitsuo Fujita is the actual pilot that radioed back to the Japanese character, uh, uh, carriers with that famous message, Torah, Torah, Torah saying that they had achieved complete surprise. Fuchida idolized the dictator Adolf Hitler. He wore his hair the same way. He wore the same type of mustache. And later, when America won the battle and Japan surrendered, Fuchida was still very embittered against America. He hated America. In fact, they tell us that he took, a, took on a job of, of trying to defend some of his comrades for supposed war crimes. While he was doing that, he came across one of his flight engineers that he thought was dead. And he came to find out that this flight engineer that he knew very well, this flight engineer had been captured during the war and placed in a POW camp. And so Fujita went to this former POW, Japanese POW uh, prisoner, and he said, I want you to tell me uh, about your time in the American POW camp. Tell me about how they tortured you. Tell me how they abused you. And this Japanese soldier wouldn't talk about any of those things. He wouldn't talk about torture. He wouldn't talk about any of those things. But he talked to Fuchida about a young lady by the name of Peggy Covell. Who was Peggy Covell? Peggy Covell, her parents were missionaries in the Philippines when World War II, when the war with Japan broke out. Mom and dad, both missionaries. And when the Japanese took over the island, they took her dad and they took her mom and they beheaded her mom and dad both. But Peggy Covell knew the Lord. And somehow she allowed the Lord to give her forgiveness, and she ministered to those Japanese prisoners of war. And that Japanese prisoner, as he was talking to, Fuchida, he wouldn't talk about unkind behavior, torture, suffering. He just said, I got to tell you about somebody I met. 
I got to tell you about a, a little girl that who mom, her, her mom and dad were both beheaded, and yet she showed us the love of Christ. And, uh, and you know what happened? Fuchida became interested in Christianity. Long story short, he became a Christian and became an evangelist. <laughs> I'm talking about the guy that led the attack on Pearl Harbor, became an evangelist and began to go around the world preaching the gospel. Now, you say, Pastor, why'd you tell that story? We never, we never walk away from that story and say, wow. That Japanese soldier, man, he was a great guy. Oh, no, no, no. That's not it at all. We don't walk away from that story and say, that, that Japanese soldier, man, he, he deserves forgiveness. No, we don't do that. We walk away from that story and we say, wow, what a young lady who would offer that kind of forgiveness, even though her mom and dad had been brutally murdered, yet she offered the forgiveness and the love of Christ. And that's what we focus on when we, when we tell that story. Corrie Ten Boom, most of you know that name, Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom, was, uh, her family was not actually Jewish. They were Dutch. Uh, but during World War II and during the Holocaust, her family, how many of you have heard of the hiding place? Her family had built a little place in their home, a little hiding place in their home. And as Hitler was trying to uh, execute the Jews and annihilate the Jewish people, they would bring Jewish people into their homes and they would hide them in that hiding place in their home. Well, it was found out. Uh, the, uh, uh, anyway, the Germans came in and uh, the Nazis came in. They found out what was going on and they put her whole family in a uh, German concentration camp. Her dad died. Her sister died. They were starved. They were pretty near froze to death. She talks about the little bit of straw they had underneath their blanket in their, in their barracks. And she talked about how the fleas literally infested the straw that they laid on. Corrie Jan Boone was saved. And later on, way after World War II, she began to go around uh, the world and begin to speak. And she was speaking in a conference on forgiveness. She told that story about the concentration camp. Listen to me now. She told in that conference that day, she told about how the Germans would make them strip naked and make them go into a shower room. By the way, they never knew whether they were really going to get a shower or they were going to be gassed. And, and she said they would make us strip naked. And she said they would hoard us like a bunch of cattle into this shower room. And she said, as we went in, not a stitch of clothes on our body, she said the German soldiers would stand there and they would watch with lustful, wicked eyes. She's telling this story in this conference and she's teaching on forgiveness. And after the conference is done, she's greeting and meeting a few folk and a, a man came up to her and he said, Corey, I was one of those guards. I was in your camp. And he said, my life has been changed. And he said, I want to ask you to forgive me. And he stuck his hand out to shake her hand. And Corey Ten Boom, man, I don't know why I'm so emotional today. But Corey Ten Boom said, my, my hands were frozen. She said, I could not shake this man's hand. There's no way. There was no way that I could ever forgive him for what he did. 
My dad died in a concentration camp. My sister died in a concentration camp. They treated us like a bunch of animals. And she said, there was no way that I could lift my hand and shake his hand and forgive this man. And then she said, it was like the Holy Spirit gave me something that I didn't have. And Corey Ten Boom said, I lifted up my hand and I took his hand in mine and I shook his hand. And I said, you're forgiven. We never walk away from that story and say, wow, that goose-stepping Nazi deserved forgiveness. Oh, no. We never come away from that story and say, wow, what a guy that German soldier was. What a great guy. No, 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 no. We don't come away from that story doing that. We come away from that story saying, wow, I can't believe that she would exhibit that kind of forgiveness that she would extend a hand of, uh, of love and forgiveness and the love of Christ. And man, what a display. What a display of love. And I'm telling you, my dear friend, one of these days when God Almighty displays his church in heaven, it won't be so I can brag or Brother Rodney can brag or Brother Stacy can brag or Brother Lurie can brag. It won't be because we say, boy, look at us, aren't we something? Else? No, 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 no. Brother, when God displays that church in heaven, it'll be to say to all of eternity, what a Savior, what what a savior! What a savior! We're done. We got to be done. It's time to go. Can I show you? Some, can I show it to you real quickly, though? Would you take your Bibles and if, and turn to Revelation if you're not there? Revelation chapter number five, and would you look at verse number one? Pastor, are you making all this up? Oh no, no. I believe I can show it to you. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 1. And John said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within on, on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Verse 2, Revelation 5, verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Look at verse 3. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And John said, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open to read the book, neither look their own. Oh, hang on. In verse five, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals, the seven seals thereof. And John said, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, it is, and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and somebody ought to shout right now I'm telling you one of these days God is going to present us in heaven but it's not so we're it's not because we're something it's because he is everything and for all of eternity we will be that reminder how could a savior save something so unworthy so dirty, 
And yet he did. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, you can settle that transaction right now. That Savior that I'm talking about will save you today. Would you bow your heads with us today, Father? Thank you for reminding us of your greatness. What a Savior. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Lord, I pray that you'll save that one that's nearest hell right now. That one that uh, is hanging on. That one that doesn't believe you'll save them. That one that doesn't believe that you can make a change in their life. Lord, right now I pray that you're dealing with their heart. And I pray today on this February the 27th, 2022, that they will make a choice to let Jesus come in. Thank you, Lord, for being a great Savior. Lord, I don't understand all of that. I don't understand why you would do what you did, why you would sacrifice, why you would die, why you would bleed and suffer and agonize, be tormented, pay my hell, suffer my wrath for something as unclean as I am. I don't understand all of that, but I want to say thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray that you'll work in this invitation now. And we thank you and praise you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hey, just a question or two. How many are here this morning? And with heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I do know, I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. If that's you, you just slip your hand up today. Pastor, I know I'm saved. Wonderful. Great, great, great. Thank you so much. Let me ask you this, though. How many are here today? And you would say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. But I want to know. Preacher, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be in heaven, Pastor. I want to be in heaven. I just don't know for sure I'm going to be. And if that's you this morning, I, I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to try to pull you down an aisle. I've never done that, and I'm not going to do it today. But I sure would like to pray for you. I'll not pray for you by name. I just want to pray for you, and God will know who you are. How many are here today? And you'd say, Preacher, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven, and I need you to pray for me. And right now, you'd slip your hand up. Would you just be honest? You'd slip your hand up. God bless you, and God bless you, and God bless you. Who else? Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today that I would go to heaven. Would you remember me? Is there another? Anywhere? You'd slip your hand up right now. Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one more? Can I pray, for you? pray with you? I'm going to ask our personal workers to tiptoe very quietly down to the altar. Folks, we're going to have what we call an invitation. 
And that's exactly what it is. It's an invitation. And if you're here this morning and you have a need, any need at all, any need at all, if you just need someone to pray with you, we've got folks up here with a Bible and they'll be glad to pray with you. But if you're here this morning and you raised your hand and said, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died that I would go to heaven. Listen, we want to help you today. We want to help you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer. And as soon as I say amen, without any hesitation, I want you to step out. And I want you to make your way to the front. And someone's going to be here to help you. We'll not embarrass you. We'll not make you give a speech. Nothing like that. We just want to help you. And, and, and help you know that you can, you're going to heaven when you die. So let's all stand around the house this morning, if you will. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Thank you for giving me the privilege of just preaching on the greatness of our Savior. Father, right now, I believe that you're working. I believe the Spirit of God is working in hearts right now. Father, I pray that you'd help folks to come. I pray you'd help some of our Calvary folk to come. And just pray. Just pray. If nothing else, just pray for souls. Just pray that the Lord would clear the way for His will to be done. God, help us to be soul-conscious people at Calvary. So, Father, I pray that you work right now. Give people courage. Give them boldness. And, Father, help no one to leave this place unsure that they're on their way to heaven today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and there's a need, I want you to step out right now. Would you come? Would you come? Pastor, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Would you come right now? Would you come? Lord, give them courage. Oh, I want to tell you something. The greatest decision I ever made was to give my heart and life to Jesus. You say, Brother Pope, have you been perfect since then? No, not been perfect, but thank God I've been forgiven. Would you come today while we wait?